0: What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Prime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joe May Lowry. So in this episode, I'm going to give a quick rundown of the NBA over the last couple weeks. Haven't talked too much basketball over the last week or two. Been busy with some things, but this is going to be a quick rundown of everything going on in the NBA. And there's also going to be an NBA trade deadline preview in this episode as well, where I'm going to talk about some guys that could potentially be on the trade block, and I'll mention whether or not I think they'll be traded. I'll be using the same segment that I did for the MLB trade deadline where I did a red light, yellow light, green light prediction for whether or not I think guys will be traded. Red light means I don't think they're going to be traded. Yellow light means there's two things. It could depend on the return. So a team may not trade a guy depending on whether or not they get the return they want. Or the team could be waiting to see how they play over the next week to decide whether or not they want to blow things up. So that's the yellow light. And the green light means I think they'll be traded at the deadline. The deadline is actually a week from yesterday. So we're already under a week away from the NBA trade deadline. So I'll start off the episode with a rundown of the Clippers and how they've played as of late. They're 23 and 5 since December 1st, the best record in the NBA. They're also actually the best in the NBA in offensive rating since December 1st with a 123.5 offensive rating. They're also shooting 51% from the floor, number 1 in the NBA since December 1st, and also 41% from 3, which is also number 1 in the NBA since December 1st. They're third overall in net rating, plus 7.8 net rating since the 1st of December. They started the year 3 and 7, since then the clip is a 28 and 8. I know a lot of people love seeing the Clippers lose those first six games of James Harden, and everyone was saying the mistake the Clippers made was trading to Harden, and it was an awful idea by the Clippers general manager, Lawrence Frank. But when you look at that deal right now, this is exactly what the Clippers needed. They needed James Harden to take over an offense and facilitate. And Harden's absolutely thrived in this Clippers team. I know he's not averaging the 25 points per game that he's accustomed to in his career, but that's because he doesn't really have to take too many shots on this team. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are still getting... The most shots on the team, and rightfully so, they deserve it. And then Russell Westbrook and James Harden are sacrificing. Russ is coming off the bench, sacrificing minutes, and then obviously James Harden sacrificing shots. But they don't care. Both of those guys have already done everything in their NBA career. NBA MVP, scoring titles, assist titles. Both of those guys want to win an NBA Finals. And the same goes to Paul George. He's never won either. Kawhi Leonard's been a winner before. Two times he's won an NBA Finals ring. So he obviously knows what it takes. And if this Clippers team wants to get to the NBA Finals... They need Kawhi Leonard to be the best player on the floor every single night in the playoffs. Because Kawhi Leonard right now has been unstoppable. He has been playing great basketball, and I'll get to his numbers in just a minute. But before doing so, I want to talk about Amir Coffey, a guy off the bench that's a role player and has had a tremendous impact on this team this season. He's adding size and shooting off the bench, and since jumping into the lineup 23 games ago, the Clippers have been a much better team. He's averaging 7.3 points per game off the bench. He did start a few of those games as well, but for the most part off the bench in those 23 games and shot 44% from three over the last 23 games as well. I'm happy to see Amir Coffey getting a chance. He was a baller just a couple seasons ago for the Clippers when Paul George and Kawhi Leonard were out. They had a lot of injuries. They needed somebody to step up, and Amir Coffey, Marcus Morris, Reggie Jackson, those three guys were the bulk of the offense a couple seasons ago. Robert Covington, Norman Powell, after getting traded to the Clippers from Portland, those two guys stepped up in that season as well. But Amir Coffey was great a couple seasons ago. Then last year fell out of the rotation for the most part. This year started off the season out of the rotation after the Clippers made that big trade for James Harden. The Clippers needed some size in the lineup. And Amir Coffey jumped up in the rotation. And it's great to see him get more minutes and get more opportunities for the Clippers this season. The Clippers did have a tough loss earlier this week to Cleveland. Cleveland's a good team. They've really turned the season around, even with all their injuries. Evan Mobley is back now. Darius Garland is back now. But they've been winning a lot of games without those two guys over the last couple weeks. Great to see them turn their season around. I know things weren't looking great when Gotland went down, Mobley went down. Things weren't looking up for that team. But they've really finally figured things out. I think they're going to be a dangerous team in the East come playoff time. So that might have been a tough loss for the Clippers on Monday, but they recovered a couple of nights ago now with a win over the Washington Wizards. Tonight they played the Detroit Pistons. But one game I want to mention is they went over the Celtics last Saturday night at the TD Garden. The Clippers are 8.5 point underdogs on the road in this game, and they blew the Celtics out. 115, 96 final. The score made the game look a little bit closer than it actually was, and that's because the Clippers took their foot off the gas pedal when their backups went in the game just at the start of the fourth quarter. The Clippers are up by 36 points at one point, with 20 seconds left in the third quarter. At the conclusion of the third quarter, it was actually 91-60 Clippers. Crazy how the Celtics were so cold shooting the ball from the floor. But give the Clippers credit. They played great defense. I know a lot of Celtics fans don't want to hear Me talk about the Celtics in a negative light, but at the end of the day, it's only one regular season game. The Celtics blew out the Clippers in L.A. in December, and then the Celtics at home against the Clippers last Saturday night had their favor returned to them, and the Clippers found a way to really take them out of the game by the third quarter. But the Clippers really found a way to make things tough on the Celtics in this game. Played great defense, forced a lot of bad shots, forced some turnovers as well. Weren't too many turnovers. That wasn't really the Celtics' main problem. It was more their shooting. At halftime, the score was 55-39 in favor of the Clippers. The Celtics typically scored 39 points in the first quarter. In this game, they only had 39 points at halftime. And after three quarters, the score was 91-60. The Celtics usually have 60 points at halftime with ease. So credit to Ty Lu, credit to the Clippers. They showed up, found a way to put a win together on this one. Paul George was questionable to play before the game began. But he decided to play, opted in, and it obviously paid off for this Clippers team. Paul George and Kawhi are not taking games off this year. I know there's a whole narrative about load management and them loving to take games off. Neither one of them are taking games voluntarily off this season. They've played mostly in every single game this year, and obviously you see the product and the result. The Clips are the best team in the NBA in my eyes right now. So there was one point in the start of the third quarter that the Celtics were scoreless for 6 minutes and 34 seconds in this game. 6 minutes and 34 seconds. Which, if you watch the Celtics play any game this season, you'd never think that would happen considering how electric their offense has been all season long. But 6 minutes and 34 seconds, the Celtics were scoreless for in the third quarter at one point. And the Clippers went on a 21-0 run during that stretch. The energy was high all game for the Clippers. Terrence Mann really balled out in his return to Massachusetts. He's from Lowell, Mass. So obviously him going home, playing the Celtics, probably has a great crowd and a lot of family at the game. He really played up in this one. 14.6 rebounds, 3 assists, including a few huge dunks. One of them being on a great alley-oop from James Harden, with Terrence Mann pointed up to the sky to slamming it. Loved seeing the bench going crazy as well. The vibes are absolutely immaculate after that play. Daniel Tice loved his return to Boston as well. He had 18.7 rebounds, 2 assists, a steal in 2 blocks. Was 8 of 9 from the floor. It seems like guys love going back to Boston after being traded from the Celtics. Daniel Tyson 18 points last Saturday night. And then Aaron Nesmith earlier this week came into town with the Indiana Pacers. And he absolutely went off against the Celtics for 26 points. Seems like guys love playing the Celtics after the Celtics decide to trade them. With that being said, though, Daniel Tice and Aaron Nesmith were both traded in that trade to get Malcolm Brogdon to the Celtics just about two years ago almost heading into the summer and at the end of the day, that was a great trade for the Celtics. So I understand why they did it. But it seems like those guys love coming and playing the Celtics and showing them what they missed out on. So the Celtics didn't shoot well in this game. They were 10-40 for 40 from three for 25% as a three-point percentage in that game against the Clippers. But the Clippers didn't shoot well in that game either. The Clippers were 10-40 of 40 as well from three. The Clippers did shoot a little bit better overall from the floor. The Celtics were... With 36% from the floor overall, Jason Tatum was the Celtics' leading scorer with 21 points. The next closer scorer for the Celtics was Peyton Pritchard with 12. And you've never seen really many nights where Peyton is the second leading scorer on the Celtics with 12 points. That doesn't happen ever with this Celtics team this season. But keep in mind, there was no Kristaps Porzingis in this game. But the Clippers also are missing Evita Zubak in this game. So both teams are missing their starting center. The Clippers are 10-40 from three, 25%. Same as the Celtics in that one. Russell Westbrook and James Harden, they've been great over the last couple months, but they really struggled shooting the ball in this game that the TD got in. They were 4 for 20 combined from the floor, 0 of 8 from 3, with just 13 points between the two guys. Kawhi Lennon made up for it, though, 26 points, 10 of 15 from the floor, 7 rebounds, 2 steals, 2 blocks. He has been an MVP candidate this season, and he's still not getting enough recognition, I don't think, right now. Because the Clippers right now are the best team in the NBA in my eyes, and he's the best player on the squad. He should definitely be a top-five MVP candidate right now, but I don't think he's getting really the attention he deserves. But the Clips really are special. I'm just going to enjoy every second of this season. As for the Celtics, it's only one game at the end of the day. You can't really put too much pressure on one regular season game, but obviously a big win for the Clips in that one. You guys can tell just the way I'm talking about them right now that I was excited with that big win for the Clips in Boston. So now I'm going to transition to talk about the Lakers, who have been struggling as of late, but they found a way to beat the Celtics last night. The Lakers are 11-16 in their last 27 games played. They started off the year 15-9. They won the in-season tournament. But since doing so, they're 11-16 in their last 27 games. LeBron James and Anthony Davis did not play in their game against the Celtics last night. That was the third game in four nights for the Lakers. And even though both AD and LeBron were listed with injuries, I think it was probably more of a rest night for those two guys. But the Lakers found a way to win somehow. Credit to Austin Reeves. He had an absolute night. 32 points, two rebounds, three assists. Shot 7 of 10 from 3. Rui Hachimura had a great game off the bench as well 15 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, and a block, 3 of 6 from 3. Tarion Prince had a good game 11 points, 8 rebounds, 2 assists, a block, and a steal. He was great defensively. D'Angelo Russell 16 points, 8 rebounds, 14 assists, and 2 steals. He was 5 of 20 from the floor, 4 of 8 from 3. But he really showed his worth last night as a playmaker. He didn't have a great night shooting, but 14 assists, was finding open shots for his teammates all night long. And then one other guy I wanted to mention was Jackson Hayes. He had a monster of a night taking over for Anthony Davis in the paint. 16 points, 10 rebounds with three blocks, was 6 of 8 from the floor. The Lakers won that game 114-105. The Celtics took the Lakers very lightly in the first half in that game last night. They were down, I think, about 15 points at halftime to that Lakers squad. And then the Celtics had a comeback in the third quarter. They made it about a 6-7 point game at one point. But Austin Reeves kept responding with some big threes. He had a great night. Big win for the Lakers. We'll see what they do in that Saturday night game tomorrow night at Madison Square Garden. I'm sure LeBron and Anthony Davis will both be playing in that one. But the problem with this Lakers team is this. Even though they've proven they can beat anyone on any given night, they're just too inconsistent for me. If I were the Lakers right now, I still think they need help. I would trade Austin Reeves, who's at his peak value right now. And I'd probably trade Rui Hachimura as well. Yes, the Lakers have shown they can beat anyone on any given night in the NBA. But they're still too inconsistent for me. And I don't think this is an NBA championship team. The changes need to be made at the end of the day. Is it going to be Dovenham being fired? Who knows? Is it going to be a big trade? Will they trade D'Angelo Russell? or they trade Rui Hachimura or Austin Reeves or Gabe Vincent? Which, trading Gabe Vincent right now would be tough considering. He's making $11 million per year and he's also hurt. So his value isn't going to be great. But he could be in a trade as a salary filler. Since time's really ticking on LeBron James' time in L.A., and obviously he's not getting any younger, the Lakers have to find a way to go out and make a big move, try to pair somebody with Anthony Davis and LeBron James to give them a chance at an NBA Finals this year. Time's really ticking on LeBron. You've got to find a way to go out and try to give him another piece to build around that can really take over on nights when LeBron James is either out or he's struggling from the floor. The Lakers need a guy that can take over offensively when LeBron James is out of the lineup. With that being said, Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell have stepped up in moments when LeBron James is on the bench. Like we saw last night, Austin Reeves going off with seven threes. But I don't think you can rely on Austin Reeves in the playoffs. I don't think you're going to say, hey, LeBron, take a couple minutes on the bench here, and we're going to let Austin Reeves try to take over the offense. I think the Lakers need to go out and make a big move. Credit to Reeves, Hachimura, though. Both those guys really stepped up in that one. But what last night really showed me is how much I worry about the Celtics to some degree. Obviously, they have a talented lineup, probably the best starting five in the NBA, most people would say. But they've found ways to disappear in some nights. Like against the Nuggets at home, like against the Clippers at home, like against the Lakers last night, without LeBron James and Anthony Davis, they found a way to lose that game. Detroit, I believe the game was in November or December, almost beat the Celtics at home. The Celtics have taken teams lightly, it seems like, at some points. And I know the season's long, 82 games. You're not going to go 82-0 and as much as you want to. But I do worry about the Celtics to some degree. Do I still think they're the best team in the East? Absolutely. With that being said... They still need to figure things out. There's still some things about this Celtics team that needs to be figured out. I don't think Al Horford can be relied upon anymore. I think the Celtics should go out and make a big move and try to get a power forward to help them off the bench. Maybe like Dorian Finney-Smith. The Celtics still have moves to make in my eyes because when the playoffs roll around, you're probably not going to rely on Sam Hauser and Paint Pritch and Luke Cornette as much. You're probably not going to rely on them in the playoffs come April and May. The Celtics probably need to go out and make another move, I'd say. Now I'm going to switch gears for just a second and talk about Jalen Green who's been on an absolute tear for the Houston Rockets. In his last five games, he's averaging 29.8 points per game, so just about 30 per game, seven rebounds, just about four assists, 1.6 steals per game, and he's shooting 36% from three, 52% overall from the floor. He has been absolutely balling as of late for the Houston Rockets, and it's great to see him get his confidence back. He struggled early on in the season. I know people were talking about him and criticizing him and saying maybe last season was a fluke and he wasn't going to take that big step up this season. But he's playing a lot more comfortably right now. And after you start the year on a low note and you're struggling, it's really only up from there. He's found his groove now, and he looks a lot better. And credit to Houston. They have a lot of young talent to build around. They're going to be running the West for years with Oklahoma City and the Utah Jazz. All three of those teams have a ton of future draft picks and have a lot of young talent on their squads. I like Utah a lot. I like Houston a lot. And obviously Oklahoma City You can't discredit the talent they have right now and obviously the million draft picks they have over the next five seasons. So now I'm going to move on and talk about Kevin Durant's return to the Brooklyn Nets. Went to the Bakaly Center a couple nights ago. Didn't want a tribute video. He said on Twitter a few days ago before his return to the Bakaly Center that the night would be better without a tribute video for him. And he also said it'd be better for not only the Brooklyn Nets but himself. But Brooklyn ended up giving him a video a couple nights ago. Obviously, things didn't work out in Brooklyn for Kevin Durant. It's honestly fascinating looking back on the Durant-Irving era in Brooklyn. Filled with a lot of chaos, filled with trade requests, filled with injuries. But things really could have gone differently in their time in Brooklyn. They had a chance with James Harden to potentially win an NBA Finals. That Nets big three with Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden with 13-3 and together. But Kevin Durant's foot being on the line against the Milwaukee Bucks ended up being a game-changer in that series. If the Nets end up winning that series, who knows where they'd be currently today. Maybe Durant and Irving would still be in Brooklyn. Who knows? Maybe James Harden wouldn't have wanted out of the Brooklyn Nets. There was so much talent on that Brooklyn Nets team over the last three or four seasons, and it's crazy how empty they've come up. They've came up empty, it seems like, every time that they try to go all-in. Trading for Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and Jason Terry, that didn't work out. Obviously, the Celtics ended up benefiting from that. Put the Nets back probably about four or five seasons and trying to rebuild their team. And then in 2019-2020, getting Kevin Durant, getting Kyrie Irving, trading for James Harden from the Houston Rockets in 2021, and at the end of the day, that trade didn't work out really either. So they've gone all-in, and they've come up empty a good amount. They still have some young talent. I still like that team's roster, but they're still obviously a ways away. In 129 games for Brooklyn, the Nets were 85-44 and 44 with Kevin Durant in the lineup. 85-44. and 44. So they were great when he played. And as I said, it's really crazy to look back on the time that Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant were in Brooklyn. I mean, there was so much talent there. The sky was the limit for that team, and they came up completely empty. Came up completely empty. With that being said, though, I like this Nets team they currently have. The talent's not there to contend in the East right now, but they have a lot of good role players and players to build around. If you want to win a championship, you really need a number one guy to build around. And Mikael Bridges, I think is a great talent. He's more of a second option between a one and a two. I'd say he's like a one and a half option. Rather than a number one, he's probably closer to being a number two. If that Nets team could go out and get a number one, like a Kawhi Leonard, which obviously not going to be easy to get Kawhi Leonard. Now he's with the Clippers who are on a three-year extension, so they're not going to go out and get Kawhi. But if they could get somebody like him, they could take a game over on both ends, the Nets could really take a big step up. They have a lot of good talent on that team, but just not enough to contend in the Eastern Conference right now. As for Durant in his return to Brooklyn, he had 33 points, five rebounds, eight assists, two blocks, and the Suns' 136-120 win over the Nets a couple nights ago. So now I'm going to talk about the other New York team, and that's the New York Knicks, who have been red hot as of late. they had the best record in the NBA in the month of January. They're 14-2 in January. they had 13-2 with OG and Anobi in the lineup. Heading into yesterday, OG was averaging 15.6 points per for game, 4.6 rebounds, 1.8 assists, and 1.1 blocks per game. Shooting 39% from three for the New York Knicks. He's exactly what the Knicks needed. A great 3 and D player with size that can help protect the perimeter, obviously help out the offense as well. And it's really worked out a lot better for the Knicks than I thought it would. Credit to the Knicks front office for making that deal. I thought they gave up too much, giving up Ajay Barrett and also giving up Emmanuel quickly, which quickly is probably going to be gone anyways when the season is over since they're not going to sign quickly to big money when they already have Jalen Brunson in the starting lineup. Two undersized guards probably wouldn't be the best move for them. But trading Aj Barrett with three years left just about on his deal, I thought that was tough. But OG is what this team needed. So I was wrong at the end of the day thinking the Raptors won that deal. I think it's probably a little bit more closer in a deal than I thought it was originally. And if there's a team that won that deal, it's probably the New York Knicks. But I do think it's close. I'd probably say both teams won to some degree. The Raptors got I.J. Barrett, his return to Canada, and they also got a second-round pick out of it as well. And then obviously, looking at the Knicks, O.G. Ananobi has been absolutely balling for them. He was a great addition to that lineup. Unfortunately for the Knicks, though, they're going to be without Julius Randle for at least two to three weeks with a dislocated right shoulder. Honestly, that's a win for the Knicks. It didn't look good when he went down with that injury. So two to three weeks is probably the best case scenario for them. The Knicks catch a break, though, there. They're already without Mitchell Robinson for the rest of the season. Losing Julius Randle for the rest of the season would be really tough for them. Jalen Brunson's been on an absolute tear this season. He has been tremendous. 26.8 points per game, six and a half assists, 42% from three heading into last night. He isn't an all-star starter, which I know a lot of the Knicks fans are going to be upset with that. But I do still feel like Jalen Brunson is probably more of a number two than a number one option. And that's not trying to discredit him. He's had a great season. The Knicks wouldn't be in this position right now without Jalen Brunson. I know a lot of Knicks fans that are probably listening to this probably aren't going to be happy with me saying Brunson's probably more of a number two. But I think when you look at him, I think when the playoffs do roll around, I think he'd be better off being more of a sidekick to a number one than being the number one option on a team. That's just the way I take it. But that's not trying to take away from his great season. And hopefully, I'm wrong about that. Hopefully, the Knicks find a way to go on a big run with him, which I still think this Knicks team is capable of anything in the East. Anything's possible when you get into the playoffs. And they've been the hottest team in the NBA over the last month. The Clippers and the Knicks have been the two hottest teams in the NBA over the last month and two months. The Clips have been the best team since December 1st. And since January 1st, the New York Knicks have been the best team record-wise. So those two teams have been on absolute tears. And anything's possible, like I said, when you get in the playoffs. Brunson's been great. Not trying to take away from his season. He's obviously been balling. But I still feel like the Knicks would be better off with a better number one and have him more as the number two. I feel like he's in that middle of the number one and number two options. I'd say he's more of like a one and a half. And that's why I think that he's probably more of a number two than at the end of the day. Because if you're not a number one, you're probably a number two then if you're in between a one and a two. If you're not a number one, those are clear-cut. Kawhi Leonard, Steph Curry, Giannis Antetokounmpo. You can see number ones very easily. There's no in-between for those guys. They're either a number one or they're not. When you're a one, one and a half, you're in the middle. You're probably closer to being a number two in my eyes. But once again, not take away from Brunson. He's been great. And obviously, he's going to be in consideration for the MVP conversation with how well he's playing as of late. But the point of what I'm saying about him being a number two is when the playoffs roll around... I think he'd be better off as a number two option. But I could be really wrong about that. Time will tell. So now I'm going to break down two trades in the NBA over the last month. Terry Ogier being traded from the Charlotte Hornets to the Miami Heat. And then also Pascal Siaka being traded from the Toronto Raptors to the Indiana Paces. Didn't get to talk about either one of these two deals, unfortunately, after they went down. So I'm going to break them down right now and give you my thoughts on them. In the deal between the Hornets and the Heat, the Hornets got Kyle Lowry in a 2027 first-round pick. Shaw could have gotten more, in my opinion, for Terry Rozier. Rozier is still under contract for two more seasons after this one at a very reasonable price for a player that was averaging 23 points per game, 6.5 assists, and 35% from three in at this season. They probably could have gotten more in return. As for Miami, they got Terry Rozier. Scary Terry came off the bench in his debut. He fits right into Key Coach, though. A guy that never quits, plays his best basketball in crunch time, shows up in big moments, and now he's in the starting lineup. And now this is the lineup that I would roll with if I were Eric Spolstra. We got Terry Rozier starting at point guard, Tyler Hero at shooting guard, Jaime Haquez at small forward, Jimmy Butler at power forward, and then Bam Adebayo at center. And then the bench, you got Duncan Robinson, Caleb Martin, Nikola Jovic, and Kevin Love. I still think they need to add another piece, maybe like a Dorian Finney-Smith. I think he'd be a good addition to that lineup. I like DFS a lot. I guess according to reports, the Nets rejected two first-round picks in an offer for DFS. I think that's crazy. I think they should have taken the two first-round picks. The Nets aren't really going anywhere right now, even though, like I said, I like that team, and I think they have a lot of talent. They're still a number one away from trying to contend in the East. I'd probably trade DFS and get some first-round picks on a turn. I think it's crazy to reject two first-round picks from, especially considering where Brooklyn's at right now. I think Miami, though, is a bigger threat to the East right now after this deal. I think they're going to be right there with the Celtics in the playoffs, as always. I think the Celtics are probably still going to be that number one team in the East when the playoffs roll around. Then there's an interesting group after that. You got Milwaukee, you got Philly, you got Miami, you got Cleveland, you got the New York Knicks. I think the East is going to be a fun playoff race to watch. I really do. As a Pascal Siakam, he was rumored for a while that the Raptors were going to be trading him at some point. The Raptors are rebuilding. They didn't want to pay Siakam after the season ends. He's actually going to be a free agent after this year is over. And with the Raptors not wanting to pay him, it made sense for them to trade him. So this is what happened to the deal. The Pacers got Pascal Siakam and a 2024 second-round pick via the New Orleans Pelicans. And then the Raptors got Bruce Brown, Jordan Wara, Kyra Lewis Jr., a 2024 first-round pick via the Pacers, a 2024 first-round pick, and this will be the lesser of the picks between the Jazz, Clippers, Rockets, or Thunder, and then a 2026 first-round pick via the Pacers, and that pick is protected one through four. So the Raptors essentially got three first-round picks to build around and Bruce Brown, who they could potentially still deal before the trade deadline. And then in this deal, the New Orleans Pelicans again cash considerations. It was a three-team deal just to make it work, make the money work. So the Pelicans will be picking up money in return. As for the Pacers' lineup, this is what they got to roll with. Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Hild, Aaron Smith, Pascal Siakam, and Miles Turner. And then off the bench, they got Benedict Matherin, Jalen Smith, who's a solid big man off the bench, Obi Toppin, and TJ McConnell. They got a solid rotation right there. They might still go out and make another trade before the deadline. I still think they could use another piece off the bench. But this move definitely climbs them up the east a little bit when you're adding Pascal Siakam to a lineup that already has Tyrese Halliburton. And one thing I noticed just about a week or two ago is that I actually predicted this trade in my episode. It was 201 on the podcast on August 9th of 2023. Episode 201. And this is what I predicted for the Pascal Siakam trade package to be. I had Indiana getting Siakam. And then I had Toronto getting Buddy Hield, Daniel Tice, Aaron E. Smith, and two first-round picks from the Paces in 2026 and 2028. The Paces ended up giving up three first-round picks in this deal. They also gave up Bruce Brown instead of Buddy Hield and Daniel Tice and Aaron E. Smith. But it's pretty crazy looking back, knowing that I predicted six months ago, Pascal Siakam would be traded to the Indiana Paces. Obviously, the trade package was wrong. I was pretty close with the draft picks. ends up being three first-round picks rather than two. But I ended up missing, obviously, on the players. But... At the end of the day, predicting Siakam to go to Indiana is pretty crazy considering I did that on August 9th of 2023. So now I'm going to move on to my last segment, and that's red light, yellow light, green light for the NBA trade deadline. It's the same segment I did for the MLB trade deadline where I predicted whether or not guys will be traded using a red light, yellow light, or green light. So I'll start off with the Bulls star, Zach Levine, who I think is a green light. I think the Bulls are going nowhere. The core of Nikola Vucevic with DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine didn't really work out, and a big reason for that is... Lonzo Ball being hurt didn't help them. He would have been a great playmaker around those three guys if he had more time and he was able to stay healthy. Zach Levine's contract is monstrous. Still two more years on his deal at around $44 million per year. So wherever he is dealt, there's going to have to be a lot of money going both ways to try to make the money work. In my prediction here, I'm going to give some proposed deals in this segment. My predicted deal is between the Chicago Bulls and the Golden State Warriors. I think Golden State's going to go out and try to make a big move. If you look at where they're currently at right now, they still have a lot of ground to make up. And this is a post-game interview with Steph Curry on January 11th of 2024. And I think it sounds like he's looking for the Golden State Warriors to go out and make a big move. You're not the general manager and, you know, a lot of things are just going on that you can handle. But do you almost feel like that trade deadline coming up, you've got a certain amount of time to show management to keep things together or they might have to make some major decisions? We have a standard that's pretty evident that if things stay the same, you know, that's a definition of insanity, right? Keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result. So as players and what we can do, we have to control our effort, our focus, competitiveness, um, you know, control the things that we can on the court. Like every NBA season, every organization, that stuff works itself out and you can't allow yourself to get distracted by that, you know, because whether you're at the top of the standings or at the bottom, there's always rumors swirling, there's always conversations and it's just a part of the business. And until anything happens, uh, you can't get caught up in it because it would rob you of your opportunity to play good basketball and, uh, you know, that's that's kind of where we're at. So Steph bringing up the definition of insanity right there makes me think they're going to go out and make a big move. So before I break down that deal, one thing I want to mention really quick is my thoughts and prayers are with the family of Dayon, my Loyovic and everyone with the Golden State Warriors organization. So traumatic, and I'm really hoping the Golden State Warriors can find a way to heat up in the second half of the season and tribute it to my Loyovic. So in this deal between the Bulls and the Warriors, I got the Bulls getting Chris Paul as a salary filler. Maybe could be a better fit next to Vucevic and to DeRozan to help facilitate that offense with Lonzo Ball being out. All right, the Bulls also getting Gary Payton II, Moses Moody, and Corey Joseph. Those two guys, Gary Payton and Corey Joseph, are in this deal to try to make the money work out. Really, that's the only reason they're in there. Just a salary fill is. And then I think Moody gives the Bulls a young player to try to utilize. Maybe he can get a bigger role in Chicago. As for the Warriors, they'd be getting Zach Levine and Alex Caruso in this deal. This would leave them with a starting lineup that look like this. Steph Curry, a point guard. Klay Thompson, at shooting guard. Small forward, Zach Levine. Power forward Jonathan Kaminga, if I were making decisions, he would be starting, but he has been thriving off the bench. And then center would be Kavon Looney. And then as the bench, this is what you'd have. Draymond Green, Brandon Pajimski, Alex Caruso, Trace Jackson Davis as the main rotation in the playoffs. That would leave Andrew Wiggins as the odd one out. I think the Warriors are going to have to probably move two of these three guys between Andrew Wiggins, Clay Thompson, and Chris Paul. I think two of them are going to be gone at the deadline. You could probably sub in Klay for Chris Paul in this deal, but I think, honestly, Chris Paul would be a better fit in the Bulls' offense than Klay Thompson would be. Another deal I made is between the Bulls and the Lakers. where the Lakers already getting Zach Levine? in exchange for D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves, and Gabe Vincent. That's a little bit crazy. I don't think that deal is going to happen. I do think Zach Levine will probably be in the conversation for the Los Angeles Lakers, but I think the Lakers probably end up going out and trying to get a guy like DeJounte Murray rather than Zach Levine. Next up, we have Lakers God, D'Angelo Russell. In his last 10 games heading into last night, he was averaging 25.2 points per game, 6.1 assists, 48% from three, with 4.33 points made per game, which is a great mark there over a 10-game stretch. Averaged just about a block per game and a steal per game as well. It seems like he doesn't want to be traded, but I think the Lakers are looking to shake things up. So I'm going to go yellow light on Russell here. Depending on what the Lakers have to give up to go out and potentially get another star, Russell probably has to be in that deal. He has an $18 million player option for next season that I think he probably declines for more money. I would really consider trading Austin Reeves right now as well if I were the Lakers. I know he had a great game last night against the Celtics, but his max value is probably right now. And it seems like the Lakers are reluctant to trade Austin Reeves. But if they want to go out and try to get a guy like DeJounte Murray, Reeves probably has to be in that deal. Next up, we have the Brooklyn Nets role players. We have Dorian Finney-Smith, Spencer Dinwiddie, Nick Claxton, and Royce O'Neill. Dinwiddie, O'Neill, and Claxton are all free agents at the end of the season. The unfortunate thing about this Nets team is that they do have talent. They have solid role players, some guys you can build around, some guys that you'd want on a championship team that play hard, give you everything they got on a nightly basis. They should be better than they actually are, but they're really struggling since December 1st. This team is 10-19 since the start of December. And even though they did win a game with Ben Simmons back in the lineup earlier this week, he did miss his second game, though that he could have played in. He missed that game against Phoenix. That was his first game back since November. And they did blow up the Jazz in that game at the Barclays Center, 147-114. But you can't rely on Ben Simmons like we've seen over the last four or five years now with his time in Philly and now in Brooklyn. The issue with this Nets team is this, I think. Mikael Bridges is probably more of a number two than a number one, which I know I talked about Jalen Brunson in the same light. Jalen Brunson is a better player than Mikael Bridges probably, but I do like Mikael Bridges a lot. Brooklyn doesn't have a number one option. Even though Mikael Bridges is their number one option, I'm talking about a number one guy that could take over any given night. You need a number one player in the NBA today to try to compete. Look at Philly with Joel Embiid, look at Minnesota with Anthony Edwards, look at Oklahoma City with Shea Gilgis-Alexander, look at Denver with Nikola Jokic. You need a big player to build around. And if Brooklyn had a guy like Kawhi Leonard with this current roster, I think they could be very dangerous. I know it didn't work out with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, and it didn't work out with James Harden, but this core they have right now, if you could add a superstar with those guys right now without having to give up, let's say Dorian Finney-Smith and giving up Cam Thomas, and you don't have to give up Mikael Bridges, that team could be really dangerous. Maybe in the offseason, they try to go out and try to get a guy in free agency. I'm not really too sure who's on free agency market for this year. But as for those four guys that I mentioned, I'd say there's a green light on Dinwiddie and O'Neal. I think both those guys are going to be traded. I'm going to go yellow light on Nick Claxton and a yellow light on Dorian Finney-Smith. probably depends on the offer for those two guys. My proposed deal is this, between the Warriors and the Nets, which the Warriors are pretty active already here in my predictions. I am the Nets getting Andrew Wiggins, Kevon Looney, and a 2027 first-round pick. And I have the Warriors getting Dorian Finney Smith, Nick Claxton, and Royce O'Neill. That would make the Warriors' depth a lot stronger. You'd get three guys that could help right away, two guys that could potentially be off the bench DFS and O'Neill. And then obviously Claxton probably jumps into their starting lineup and ends up being their big man. I think that would be a great addition to that Warriors' lineup. Next up, we have Hawks star guard DeJounte Murray, who I think is going to be moved very soon. The Lakers and the Nets are being talked about a lot as potential landing spots, but I think the Utah Jazz. Could be a landing spot as well that's under the radar. They have a ton of draft picks and a lot of young assets that they could move and go out and get anybody they wanted. And I think DeJounte Murray is a green light. I think he's going to be traded. He's a free agent after the season's over. Atlanta's going nowhere as of right now. I think they're a playing team where things currently stand. So my proposed deal was this, between the Lakers and the Hawks. The Lakers get DeJounte Murray, and the Hawks get D'Angelo Russell, Jalen hood Shafino, and a 2025 first-round pick. The Hawks probably could get two first-round picks in this deal, but I have the Lakers giving up Jalen hood Shafino instead, who was the Lakers' first-round pick from last year's draft. And I could be way off on a lot of these trade packages. Like we've seen in years past, sometimes teams give up more than they have to to get a potential player, and there's two reasons. Sometimes you're outbidding another team, and other times you're doing it just because you're that desperate and you want to go out and make a move and you don't care what you have to give up. Next up, we have Donovan Mitchell, who's not for sale in my eyes. I wouldn't trade him either. The guy's an absolute superstar and a top-ten talent in the NBA, in my opinion. I'm going to go red light on Donovan Mitchell. Next up, we have Utah's Larry Mockinen, Jordan Clarkson, and John Collins. I'm going to go red light on Mockinen. I would not trade him. I think he stays put in Utah. But if he were to be traded, they probably could get two first-round picks any young player in return for him because he's still a contract for another season. Maybe the Lakers could try to trade Austin Reeves, D'Angelo Russell in a first-round pick for Makinin and Kelly Olenek. I think Kelly Olenek will be traded. I'm going to go green light on him. But I don't think the Lakers go out and make a move for Makinin. I think the Utah Jazz is going to hold on to him. As Clarkson, I'm going to go yellow light on him. I think it depends on the package that's offered from. Maybe the Utah Jazz could play better in the next week, and they decide to keep him. He's still a good player, 17-point-per-game scorer, had five good seasons in Utah. He's a free agent after the season's over, though. The Utah Jazz have a solid rotation. A lot of guys have to get some minutes in that rotation, so I think they're looking to make some moves. So John Collins, even though they got it basically for free, Things really haven't worked out too well for him in Utah. He's a $26 million cap hit next season. He's averaging 14 points and 8 rebounds this season. But I'm going to go green light on Collins. I think he ends up being moved. Maybe a team like Miami could use him with Phoenix. Utah currently stands at 24-26. They're currently the 10th seed in the play-in tournament. They're 18-13 since the start of December with wins over Miami, Dallas, Denver, Milwaukee, Philly, Indiana, this team is a solid young core, like I talked about a lot before the season. I like this team years to come from now. They're still competing right now, but I think two years from now, this team's going to be very dangerous. I think they're going to hold on to Makinen, Clarkson and John Collins. I would not be surprised if they move those two guys. Next up, we have both got Alex Crusoe. Who I'm going to go yellow light on. He's having a good year for them. Partially guaranteed contract for next season, so they could bring him back if they wanted to. But maybe in a potential deal, a team wants him to help out off the bench. And in that case, he probably is moved if he's maybe an add-in to a trade for Zach Levine or DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan, I think, ends up staying put in Chicago. But I do think Zach Levine is the guy that's traded there for the Bulls. Next up, we have Boyan Bogdanovich, who's on a partially guaranteed contract for next season. But I think Detroit moves him for some assets to build around for the future. They probably could trade him to contender right now. They need some scoring help and a guy that could shoot the ball. They probably could get a draft pick back in a role player in return. He's averaging 20.5 points per game this season, 41% from three. I'm going to say green light on Bogdanovich. I think he ends up being traded. My prediction is this, which I have the is making three trades here. I think one of these trades probably ends up happening. But I think the Lakers is going to be active. I think they get one of these three guys that I mentioned, whether it's going to be Zach Levine or DeJounte Murray, or Bogdanovich, either Lake is getting Bogdanovich in return for Rui Hachimura, Gabe Vincent in a first-round pick. The Lakers know they need to get LeBron some help. Time's really running on them in the chances to win an NBA Finals. I think he'd be a great addition to that offense. Next up, we have Clippers forward P.J. Tucker, who I'm going to greenlight on. I think he ends up being bought out. If a trade's not going to happen, he's going to be bought out at some point. It's going to be hard to move him in a potential deal because he's still making some money. Maybe he ends up in Miami, Milwaukee, Phoenix, but I do think the Clippers are going to move on from him at some point. I loved seeing him on the Clippers. I thought it was great having him in that trade. Just since the Clippers really turned things around, he's fallen out of the rotation, and you really can't make too many changes right now considering how hot the Clippers are. Next up, we have another Clipper, and that's Bones Highland, who I'm a big fan of. I'm going to go yellow light on Bones Highland. It could depend on what the Clippers are being offered. Bones Highland is still under contract for another season with cheap money for next year. But I really think Bones would thrive in Minnesota. That's my main landing spot for him. I think the Lakers would love to see him in that lineup. I think Minnesota would love to see him in that lineup. I'm not sure if the Clippers are going to deal him since I still think he can be part of the Clippers' future, and that's what I really hope will be the case. But you never know. If they're going to be off in something in a deal where they're getting a good amount in return, maybe a draft pick or a role play or whatever it may be, maybe the Clippers go out and move him since he's not really playing right now anyways, and it seems like he's going to be out of the rotation for the rest of the season because the Clippers are out so hot right now they're not going to make any major changes to the rotation from here on out. Maybe Bones ends up being traded. I want to see him be a clipper forever, but at the end of the day, I'd love to see him get an opportunity elsewhere and get more minutes. That kid deserves to play. He's an absolute bucket It could be a 20-point-per-game scorer for any team in the NBA. So the last play I'm going to mention is Hawks big man Clint Capella, who I'm going to go yellow light on. I think it depends on the package that the Atlanta Hawks are offered. He's still on a contract for another season. He's having a good year as well. 11 points, 10.5 rebounds per game, 1.6 blocks per game as well. A good rim protector or reliable play to have in the paint. I'd like to see him being on a contending team that needs help in the paint. Maybe the Miami Heat could be a potential landing spot. Maybe they bump Adebayo up to power forward and have him in the paint. That's really just probably a crazy thought. I don't think Miami's going to go out and make too big of a move. I think they're looking to add a guy like DFS or maybe try to add a guy like Royce O'Neal. I don't think they're going to go out and try to make a big move, though, to get Capella. But I think he'd be good in that rotation if you could have Terry Roger with Tyler Hero, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and Clint Capella in the starting lineup. Not only is your defense great, your is great, and you obviously have a lot of scoring there with Roger Hero, and Jimmy Butler. Anyways, that'll wrap up this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. I hope you guys have a good one, and I will see you guys in the next episode. Thank you.